you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Monday, August 7. Chief Prosecutor Shane Drumgold resigned from his high-profile position after a board of inquiry into the ACT's criminal justice system made a series of damning findings about his conduct. Inquiry head Walter Sofronoff KC found Drumgold lied to the Supreme Court and engaged in unethical conduct while prosecuting former Liberal staffer Bruce Lehrman for the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins. A group of party members and unionists will put pressure on the Prime Minister to establish a royal commission into the cost of the nation's mandatory detention system at Labor's upcoming national conference. Labor for Refugees wants Anthony Albanese to commit to truth-telling and reconciliation around detention if Labor retains office at the next election. The visas of almost 66,000 international students and temporary workers are being extended thanks to a special permit introduced during the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, more of the pandemic event visas were granted by the Labor government in its first 10 months than when international borders were closed. The revelation has sparked claims by the opposition that the government is creating a big Australia by stealth. The citizenship of Australia's first jihadi bride has been restored by the High Court, the Australian can exclusively reveal. In today's episode, how a legal loophole is allowing some of the nation's most dangerous expats to chart a path home and what it means for the innocent Australians left behind. I knew him from when I was a teenager from school. Mm. I knew him from, you know, back in those days, and then I came here. Yeah, he came before me, he came six months or something before me. In 2014, a young Australian woman named Zira Daman travelled from Melbourne, where she was born, to Syrian territory controlled by Islamic State. She was just 21 years old at the time. There, she would marry another Melbournian, jihadist Mahmoud Abdelatif. She has the dubious honour of being the first in a long line of Australian jihadi brides. Some were coerced into the move by spouses or family members working for IS, and many wound up in brutal desert camps with their young children. Others, like Duman, travelled to Syria willingly, driving the caliphate to its peak as cheerleaders, promoters and recruiters. Duman used social media to advocate for attacks on Western nations, including her native Australia, as well as the UK and the US. She also called for non-believers to be killed and posted photos of women in conservative Islamic dress brandishing deadly weapons. Five years later, in 2019, she was taken into custody by the Kurdish Syrian Democratic Forces as the caliphate crumbled. That same year, Demand was notified that she'd been stripped of her Australian citizenship due to her ongoing allegiance to the terrorist group. A further three dual nationals living in Syria have been stripped of their Australian citizenship. Last month, the government confirmed 14 people have had their documentation The move to strip Zira Deman of her statehood was made possible by coalition-era legislation that meant it was up to the relevant minister to make the call. It's believed the citizenship of around 20 others was also revoked under those laws after they were introduced in 2015. The cancellation of her citizenship meant that Deman would never be able to return to Australia. At the time, she was also a dual citizen of Turkey, where she was living after escaping a Syrian detention camp for Islamic State families in 2021. 
It was here that she begged Australian authorities to allow her to bring her two young children home. Here she is speaking with the ABC. I want to go back to my country. My kids have a right to at least be treated like normal kids, hospital, medicine, food. If I was in Australia, I know that my family will at least do this for me. And I understand what the anger that they have towards a lot of us here, but the kids don't need to suffer about this. Her campaign has been largely unsuccessful until now. In a stunning turnaround, the nation's High Court has declared that Zira Deman is an Australian citizen, and that means she could be back on home soil sooner rather than later. So Zira Deman lodged an appeal in 2020 against the stripping of her citizenship, and that matter was disputed by the government, which was the coalition government at the time. Uh, Best we can tell, it doesn't appear to have gone to a complete hearing because it's been settled by consent. Ellen Wynette is an associate editor with The Australian. What changed was another High Court ruling in June last year where a fellow called Dalil Alexander succeeded in having his citizenship restored. And the Alexander case set a precedent which found that the citizenship cessation laws were invalid. And essentially as a result of that, the Albanese government, which inherited those laws, told Zero Demand's legal team that they would no longer fight her application. This clears a path for her to have her passport returned to her. And the question is, does she want to? The authorities have some interest in her. She had a very prominent profile at the height of the caliphate. So she is well known to authorities. She has a young son and a young daughter. And the last I'm aware of she was still living in Turkey, where she also holds Turkish citizenship. Her two children hold Australian citizenship through her. It's not entirely clear the nationality of the fathers of those two children. She was married three times over there. But regardless, they hold Australian citizenship through their mum and they are entitled to settle in Australia. Demand's successful appeal has been costly in more ways than one. That's because the defendant, in this case the Commonwealth of Australia, has been ordered to cover her legal fees by the High Court. And that means taxpayers are on the hook for the bill. But it also clears the path for the citizenship of other Australian jihadists to be reinstated. It's possible that there are around 12 people that are affected by these laws. And what the lawyers for Dalil Alexander argued successfully was that they were invalid because the decision to strip their citizenship was made by a minister and that in doing that, the minister was acting in a role that only a judge should act in. In other words, it was a ministerial decision when it should have been a judicial one. So it's a particular clause of the Act. And that clause allowed citizenship to be stripped from people who had never been convicted in a court of law in Australia. And that has applied to every one of the Australians that have lost their citizenship, except for one, Abdul Nasser Bambrika, who has completed almost 20 years in jail. He's done an 18-year jail term and he's been on a continued detention order, which will expire towards the end of this year. He was born in Algeria. He is seeking to have his Australian citizenship restored. His situation is different because his was stripped after he was convicted in a court of law in Australia. 
Coming up after the break, how the Albanese government plans to close the legal loophole created by its predecessors. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. The collapse of the coalition's citizenship cessation laws is a headache for the current Labor government, which is looking to close the loophole through tough new legislation. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill previously lashed the coalition's short-sightedness, saying her predecessor, Peter Dutton, is personally responsible for the failure of the laws because he ignored advice given to him during their passage through Parliament. So what will O'Neill do differently now that she's in the driver's seat? Here's Ellen Wynette again. The government knew pretty quickly after these laws fell over last year that they were going to introduce some sort of legislation themselves. And the difference would be that they would require a court to make the decision. And that would get us around the problem that had arisen by it being a ministerial decision. Those laws were actually due to be before the parliament last year. They've been delayed because the government is waiting on the outcome of Ben Breaker's case, which could be later this year. I think we would expect to get a result of that. And there's another case that's quite complicated. It's not a terrorism-related case, and it relates to a foreign national who lost citizenship, who has convictions for child sex offences. So it's not a terrorism matter, but it's possible that the court will hand down some sort of ruling that might be impactful on potential legislation. So I think the government is waiting to see how the High Court rules on those two matters before it drafts its final legislation. Those appeals are making their way through the Australian legal system at the same time as the nation is grappling with our responsibility to and for citizens caught up in wars being waged far from our shores. The uncontested reinstatement of notorious defectors like Zira Deman is in stark contrast to the failure of successive governments to repatriate innocent Australians coaxed into war zones by radicalised family members, like teen Yusuf Sahab. We brought you his story in a previous episode of The Front. Sahab was aged around 10 when he was taken to Syria by his older brother who was a recruiter for Islamic State. He was incarcerated at 14 and believed to be dead until he was reportedly found alive in a Syrian prison last year. My name is Yusuf Hishamdab. I'm Australian. Uh, I'm 17 years old. I'm scared I might die any time. Please help me. But there's been no political will then or apparently now to bring Yusuf home. So where does that leave us? I think the legacy of Islamic State is how we deal with the families of those fighters and potentially supporters. And what we do as an advanced, mature democracy in dealing with the legacy caused by our citizens. We've seen very limited enthusiasm for people to be repatriated to Australia. The coalition government in 2019 bought back two groups of mainly children, nine people in all. In October last year, we saw the Albanese government bring back four women and 13 children from the camps. 
that was quite a big move by the Labor government. There are still a number of women and children there, which the government seems to be showing no enthusiasm to bring back. What we now know is that Yusuf Sahab has now been found alive in one of the prisons there. So he's in a different category again. Then we have between 10 and 12 Australian men, former fighters, who are in prison there that no one has shown any enthusiasm whatsoever in bringing back. You would expect that those men, if they came back, would be prosecuted. So you have to wonder how confident the government is and law enforcement is as to their prospects of conviction. Then, of course, we have this other cohort, which is women who are living offshore and may or may not want to come back. And zero demand is a really interesting example of that. What we're dealing with here is a political, a moral and a legal headache that successive governments have been unable to resolve in any final way. The citizenship laws are a piece in the puzzle of resolving the final legacy of Islamic State. Ellen Wynette is an associate editor with The Australian. The Matildas will take on Denmark in the knockout stage of the Women's Football World Cup at 8.30pm Australian Easter Standard Time tonight. Subscribers can follow all the action from Accor Stadium at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.